and honestly, he's been helping me immensely in this class. And like I said, I think you're going to enjoy the homework. It's provoking. So um, a good provoking. So, so just to kind of solidify these three things that I really want you to capture is about false doctrine. And it's, it starts by forgetting the truth, ignorance, and really mechanical, mechanical Christianity, or um, uh, we have knowledge without relationship, okay? So we see this, um, we see this carried on in chapter 3 about forgetfulness. Now, the leaky brain, I, I kind of watched you as that question was asked. Did you understand that concept that we brought up last class about the leaky brain? How many understood it? Yikes. Okay. Uh, should I go over that again? Okay. So we said in 1 Peter chapter 2 that it's important that we have a repetition or a rehearsing of truth because anxiety, fear, a crowded brain, we can be overloaded and we can easily forget. I don't know about you, uh, multitasking is un, is not as profitable uh, as doing one thing at a time. Believe it or not, there was a Harvard study that you are 40% less productive when you multitask. So that's crazy. I never believed that because I love multitasking, but it's true. <laughs> it's true. Uh, but in Jeremiah 2.13, it says that our cistern, which represents our soul, is punctured. And what happens to a barrel that's punctured with water in it? The water leaks out. It's the same principle of our soul or our brain is that fear, anxiety, and the lack of meditation, the lack of repetition, we will forget what we have received. Okay? So, if uh, we've, we've talked about this, that it takes up to 37 times to hear something to retain 10% of it. Okay, that's, psych, that's psych information. Okay, 37 times to retain 10% of the information. That means if you heard a message 37 times, you or the average person would only gain 10% of the information. So our question was, what helps us retain? What is it that helps us retain knowledge? And what were some things that we gave you? Study. Study. Okay. Somebody said it earlier, those things that are personal, they become powerful in our life. That comes through what? How is God personal to you and I? How is he personal? I hope he's personal. Let's say a Bible verse. You read a Bible verse. It can be literature. It can be just information. But when it's personal, it's in your heart. How does it become personal? Repetition, yes, but some go a little deeper. Revelation, yes. But it happens through what? Say again. Meditation. That's the word I'm looking for. Meditation. 
Meditation means that we're revolving it around in our mind. Did you say that, Nupu? I'm sorry. Oh, Mariana said it. Okay. All right. We'll give her all the credit. <laughs> uh, meditation. Busyness is such a plague in the Christian life. People are too busy for God, too busy to pray, too busy to study. You know what it is? It's all a bunch of plagues. It's <laughs> a good word I can say. Uh, meditation to revolve it around again in your mind, to give yourself wholly to the information that we read in 2 Timothy. Give yourself wholly. So that means this. Uh, Joe quoted, he'll love us to the end. Beautiful promise. By the way, there's 8,000 promises. I hope you have one. That, that's your personal promise. Okay. John 13, 1, he will love us to the end. Okay, I can, I, can say, I can say, wow, thank God he loves me, right? And go on my merry way. But then I can think about it. And I, I think, let's just read the verse. Let's just read the verse so we don't misquote it or paraphrase it. John 13, 1, he's speaking to his disciples, right? If I could say one thing that you... My prayer is that you gain in Bible school is not the accumulation of knowledge. I don't want you to be an answer man or an answer woman. I pray that you would have a relationship with God uh, so that what you hear about the Bible is personal. It's personal. That you hear Christ speaking to you. That you see him actively operating in your life. Right? Because things are not going to make sense in your life. Things are not going to make sense. God will not make sense in your life. Let me put it that way. How about that one? But when you get on your knees and you're just before him in silence and in quietness, guess what? He will be personal to you. He will be uh, very much your savior. Okay? So John 13, 1 we, let's look at this together. It says, Now before the feast of the Passover, and Jesus knew his hours had come, that he should depart from this world to the Father. Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them until the end. All right? So when we think about Jesus loving us, how does he love us, Ray? How does Jesus love us? Okay, sacrificially, yes. How does he love us? Talk to me. Tori, unconditional. How does he love us, Tori? Agape. Agape, okay. Unconditional, yes. How else does he love us? I want you to go deep. How does God love you? Okay. Could we say he loves us continuously? All right. Good. Continuously. How else does God love us? Say again. Because he is love. Good. He's the definition of love. Love is love. What is that? Well, if you put God in the middle of it, there's a big bloody cross. That's what love is. What else? What else? How does God love us? See, meditation... What it does 
is it takes the word and it builds. So we could say relentless. We could say unconditional. We could say perpetual. We could say, what else can we say? Everlasting, Everlasting. good. What else? Good, sacrifice, good. What else? Come on, I know you got more words in there. Come on. Measureless, very good. Limitless, good. What else? I'm timeless, good. This is part, this is part of meditation. A lot of us, and myself included, we're always growing in meditation, but this is a good exercise to have a word and to do like a word tree and to dissect the word and to think about the character and nature of God in this word and how it's implemented by God. And then you could go and think about every single attribute or every single action. And now all of a sudden... It gets wider. It gets deeper. Right? So let's think about relentless for a minute. What do you think of when you think of the word relentless? Good. He pursues us. Good. What's an example of something that's relentless? Yes, Tori. Okay. Good. Yes. What? Yes, Josh. Okay. Good. Bloodhound, right? What is it? They have, uh, is it 10 times the sense of man or they have, they have an incredible nose, right? Yeah. How about the ocean, right? The waves, they're relentless. Can you stop the ocean? Let's say Alyssa's there on the beach and she says, stop. Will the waves listen to Alyssa? <laughs> By faith. Okay. No. <laughs> this is how God loves you. So I could say God loves you, and then you're like, oh, that's nice. Or I'm like, that's nice. You know, pass the, pass the barbecue sauce, you know. Or, or it's like God loves you, and it's like all of a sudden it's like, wow, it's personal. It's real. I've experienced it. He'll love us to the very end. Do this with the word grace. Let's just do one more. Let's do one more. Because listen, if my faith is not practical, I will walk. Um, if my faith is not personal, I will walk away from my faith. If what I if if what I have not given to God will take me away from God, it will. And I pray I pray that won't happen. What I have not given to God will one day take me from God. Grace. So how do we safeguard this personal faith, meditation? It's, it's being quiet before him. It's thinking. It's, it's writing. It's removing the noise. It's getting away and clearing our heart, clearing our mind. It's laying our face down figuratively, maybe physically, and saying, God, I'm not going to go until you speak to me. That's where the power is. So, Grace, give me some words. 
Come on, talk to me. Saving. Provoking you. Come on. Unmerited. Okay, good. Unmerited. Sufficient. Good. Think about the character of grace. Character of grace. Teaches. Grace does teaches. That's the action of grace. Think okay, unlimited. Very good. I'm I'm thinking about the nature. Unlimited. Think, I'm thinking about the nature of grace. Life giving, sure. That's the action of grace. Yes. What is when you think of God and you think of God's grace. It's a it's gift. It's a gift, sure, from the giver. Good. It's all reliant on the giver. What else? It's what, Nick? Resting. Okay, that's the action of grace. Good. So you have a car, you have an engine, right? I'm talking about the engine of grace. And I'm not talking about the car. I'm not talking about where the car is going. I'm not talking about what the car looks like. Okay. The characteristic of grace. Undeserved. It's undeserved. Good. Don't overcomplicate this. You got it. You guys are so, you got so much doctrine in you, it can knock the devil into the next millennium. Don't overthink it. Like when you think about the grace of God, let's say you're trying to explain grace to an unbeliever. How would you do that? He's a soul winner. How would you do it? A word? Yeah, or just a few short words. <laughs> yeah, unreserved. He said undeserved. I thought he said unreserved. Okay. Good. It's, uh, and it's, uh, we could say this, like it never ends, right? Could we say that, Tim? Yeah. What else could we say? Chelsea, what else could we say? Saves, yeah, that's the action of grace, yes. Sufficient. <laughs> Abundant, okay? I'll take that. Abundant. It's also something abounding. Okay? So this is making us think, and this is what, this is what helps us uh, not forget uh, the truth. It's not good enough to read it and just let it go. We're too busy for this. We're too complicated. We're too, uh, what's the word? crowded we have to sit with it just like a good italian tomato sauce it's got a it's got a really simmer and it's got to really take the time to get in us otherwise otherwise what will happen we'll just be surfaced christians and the trials will come and they'll knock us out okay i want to challenge you tonight i'm growing i'm not saying i've made it right but I want to learn it again, all right? Mercy. What's some words when you think about mercy? Okay, yes. Mercy rejoices over judgment. How many verses can we correlate with what we know? What else? Mercy. Josh, tell me about mercy. Give me a word. Nature of mercy. What is it? What is it? Okay. 
stands in our place, right? Withholds judgment. Good. What else? Endures. Very good. Okay. Mercy is there when it all is gone. Mercy is still there. Good. What else about mercy? It covers. Yes. Good. Covers us in the blood of Christ. You see where I'm going with this? I just encourage you, do these word pictures, do these word trees, go deep, and guess what? Your, your retention will be shocking. Okay. All right, let's turn to 2 Peter 3. All right, so a big word in 2 Peter chapter 3 is the word purity. Okay? And because he again addresses forgetfulness. Okay? He addresses it in verse 5. They willfully forget. And then in verse 8, it says, do not forget this one thing. Okay, we're going to go into some uh, end time stuff briefly tonight. But the false teacher, they forget truth. They start to make up their own truth, which is the normal Christianity that we hear every day. It's mixed with five different Eastern mysticism or Hinduism or, or humanism or secularism. There is no glorious gospel outside of the Bible. And that's why people like Sand and Red have mixed it with their own agenda. And then ignorance, so many ignorance, because people don't read their Bibles, you know? They don't read. They don't read or meditate or investigate, all right? So he's saying here uh, that you'll be mindful, in verse 2, of the words which are spoken before by the holy prophets and the commandments of us, the apostles of the Lord, the Savior, knowing this first, that scoffers will come in the last days. Okay, this is an interesting word. I had fun with this word, okay? This word scoffers means people will act like children. Okay, I want to give you a couple words on this in the Greek. They will act like children. They will be like antagonists. They will mock. Have anybody been on the other side of mocking? Anybody? Somebody taunting you? How does that make you feel? <laughs> Brings out the best in us, doesn't it? Right, Josh? <laughs> I don't like scoffers, right? Or scorners in, first, uh, in the first chapter of Psalms. But think about this. Let's look at this in Jude. Cynicism. What's cynicism mean? What's cynicism mean? Cynical people. What are they? Joe, what's a cynic? Yes. Smarty pants. Because what he's going to get ready to say is, well, let me finish the verse. He says this. Scoffers will come, right? walking according to their own lusts and saying, where is the promise of his coming? For since the fathers have fallen asleep, all continue there into the beginning of creation. So they're saying, you've been saying all these years Christ is coming back. What, what's the, he hasn't come back. You, you must be like wrong in your doctrine, right? The cynic, he'll be sarcastic. He will, he will taunt you like a child, okay? Look at Jude 1.18. Look at this with me. 
You have to really pray when dealing with a cynic. 118, how they told you that there would be mockers in the last day who will walk according to their ungodly lusts. They are sensual persons who cause divisions, not having uh, the spirit. All right, look at Isaiah 3, 4. I want to show you this word a little bit. Isaiah 3, 4. Do you answer a scoffer? Let me ask you that question. Yes or no? A trick question. <laughs> the answer is no. The answer is no. But sometimes you should. Yes, I mean. Some, some. Okay. We don't sit with them, right? Mm-hmm. Do we take the time and, and try to help them understand and educate them? Is, that, is there a time for that? Yeah, definitely. But here, they're saying that this particular mocker or scoffer is one that's intended to distract you from what you're doing. They're intended to derail you from what you're doing. Samballot is a good example. Who was Samballot? Who was Samballot? I'll give you a hint. Yes, Josh. Yes. Yeah. And what did he say? He, he laughed at them. He said a lot of stuff. Like he discouraged them, accused them, uh, <coughs> tried to call them, call them away from the work to have a meeting in the valley. Yes. So he tried to distract, discourage, defame. Okay. Excellent. Good. All right. What did Nehemiah do, Josh? Not to listen to the lie. Not to continue to work. Yeah. Well, what did he say to Sam Ballot? Anybody know? Yeah. Doing a great work. Excellent. There it is. My work is too great. I cannot come down. Good. Very good. You're good on the spot. That's good. All right. Isaiah 3. Look, look at this with me. Isaiah 3. The intention of the scoffer is to get under your skin. To agitate you, to make you so mad that you are a bad testimony to what you're saying. They said that D.L. Moody, early in his ministry, had an anger problem. And somebody in his church provoked him and he pushed them down the stairs in front of his whole congregation. Okay. Now, maybe he deserved that, maybe he didn't. But whatever, it was wrong, right? But there was an agitation, there was a scoffing, there was a mockery. And uh, he was, he was uh, looked at as a bad example. But also on the flip side, <laughs> it's interesting. We understand that we're all but flesh. All right, Isaiah, look at this, 3 verse 4. I will give children to the princes, and babes shall rule over them. The people will be oppressed, and everyone by another, and everyone by his neighbor. And the child will be insolent towards the elder and the base towards the honorable. Does that like reflect our culture today? Mm. I don't know about you. When I grew up, I could not back talk my father. I couldn't even back talk someone in authority because I was trained respect. And that's a good lesson. 
That's a very good lesson. All right, look at Proverbs 26. Of course, we communicate, absolutely. I don't want to say that they're untouchable. We communicate, but we do it in a spirit of humility. Amen? I hope that people would communicate. There's no such thing as an untouchable person, by the way. Right? Right? Yeah. Are you with me? How many people are with me tonight? You good? All right. Proverbs 26, uh, 17. Look at this. The scoffer. By the way, we want to be prayerful. We, by the way, we want to have a word because it's demons. It's demons. Remember, spiritual warfare is not against you. Spiritual warfare is not against you or me. What is it against? What is it against? The spirit in you. Yes, Jesus the work of God in you. And the devil's main objective is to do what? What's his main objective? I'm way off my notes tonight. This is so much fun. I got so much to say and I'm on another tangent. This is good. He wants to pervert the gospel. 13.10 of Acts. He wants to do that. Don't take warfare personally. It's not about you and me. Thank God for that. Don't even worry about it, like in this sense. Like, don't take it personal. But we fight the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but they are mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds. So we pray and tap into the work and the spirit of God, and then we meet the spiritual, the supernatural with the supernatural. All right, so the scoffers come. Let them let them wag their tongue. I remember a guy, he was so upset at me, and I don't even know why. He swore up one side of me and down the other. And it was I was watching him, and it was like the voice, like in the movie, the voice kind of goes away, and all of a sudden you see the person kind of, you know, just kind of like animated. And and I started to laugh, and, I, and I, it was it was like not the best thing you want to do. And he's, the guy just kind of was like... And he says, what is, what is your problem? I said, I said, you look ridiculous. That's what I told him. You look ridiculous. Now, that's maybe not the best thing to do, but the Holy Spirit will give you creativity at that moment. But honestly, scoffers have their ears off. And we want to be compassionate. We want to be loving. I'm not, I'm not talking about an ignorant person. I'm not talking about a combative person. I'm not talking. I'm talking about a scoffer. Someone who has, and I'm going to explain it here, that's literally demonized. They are literally used of the devil to derail you. Okay? And you know what they are, right? You know who they are. The lazy man is wiser in his own eyes than even men who can answer him sensibly. Okay, 2616. Did I say that? And 17. He who passes by and meddles in a quarrel not his own is like one who takes a dog by the ears. Anybody ever done that before? What happens when you take a dog by the ears? Jehu, what happens? Yeah, you make him more, more upset, but what does he do? He does something. Yeah, he bites you. Right? He bites you. Okay. Here's another good verse. Uh, Proverbs chapter 4. So the scoffer... 
just recognize which kingdom he's from. Now, we've done, we've done um, sketchboard and evangelism, and there's always a heckler or someone trying to distract. So, of course, you want to go to them, reason with them, lead them away, put your arm around their neck and just say, hey, let's, let's talk about it over here, and you walk them a half mile away or something. <laughs> you entreat them, but in this connotation, it is like this person is unreasonable. And in the last days, there is unreasonable evil men that that's in their intent is to disrupt, distract, and derail um, the work of God. Okay, Proverbs 4, 5. Is that the verse I want? That's not the verse I want. Mm. Okay. That's a good verse, though. Anyway. All right. So let's turn back to 2 Peter. The scoffer. So, you know, don't use all your energy to win somebody that is uh, a decoy. A decoy, that's a good word. Someone there that is going to suck your time, energy, and, and attention away from what God has intended for you. Again, we want to be all things to all men, but I'm not going to be the devil for the devil. And that's what a scoffer is, right? Just want to be kind, compassionate, but we're not naive. Do you know, does anyone know what I'm saying? How many know what I'm saying? Okay. I know that can be uncomfortable, but believe me, just like Nehemiah, the work is too important. And as you continue, as you continue, the Lord will deal with the scoffer, and he is good at that. All right. So if someone says, ah, you keep saying this and that and this and that, you don't have to defend God, by the way. Our illustration is the Bible is like a lion in a cage. All that you do is open the cage. The Lord is well able to handle himself. So we, we are there to present a great Christ. And remember, the devil wants to uh, bait and switch you so that you and I uh, get in our flesh. And um, let me just say, that's not worth it. So Jesus, look at this. Jesus had mockers and scoffer, scoffers. For you guys, right? They plucked out his beard. Now, if we all went up to Brandon tonight and started yanking on his beard, that would hurt, right, Brandon? Right. Please, please don't do that. Okay. <laughs> but they provoked Christ in every possible way, yet he did not sin. Okay. So I want to take, take you on a little ride here for a minute. Um, so it says here, uh, again, according to their own lust, where is the promise of his coming? For since the fathers fell asleep, all things continue as they were from the beginning of creation. For this they willingly forgot that by the word of God, the heavens were made. All right, Sandin, did you pass out that, that, that paper, the science paper? All right, let's look at that for a minute. We are in five, three, five. Now, I found this. This is very interesting. Do you see that? The, the Bible, science then, science now. Does anyone have that? Okay. So he goes into the flood. He goes into different things, but he says... That by the word of God, the heavens were of old, the earth standing of water and without water, and by which the world had existed 
perished, being flooded by water. But the heavens and the earth, which are now preserved by the same word, are reserved for fire into the day of judgment and perdition of ungodly men. Now, here's some good verses. So, so we have Colossians 1.15, okay, and Hebrews uh, chapter 1, verse 3, and actually Revelations 4, 10, and 11. These all talk about everything was made by God for God, and that God not only was one that um, created it, he is the one that keeps it all going. Isn't that amazing? He keeps it all going. Okay? So when the scientists write, the earth is a sphere, let's look at this paper for a minute. The earth is a sphere. So I don't know if you're a flat earther. If you're a flat earther, don't come talk to me because I don't want to have that conversation. That's the most ridiculous thing. Okay, I'll just say that. I feel I'm provoked. I'm provoked tonight. I'm sorry. Uh, I'm just going to let it fly like that. Isaiah 40, 22, the earth is a circle, right? And then they say, then the earth was flat, right? Right. It's like, it's so funny, Columbus, when he was traveling, his, some of his advisors were like, don't, don't travel beyond the horizon, you're going to fall off the earth. Sounds like wise counsel, doesn't it? Okay. So we see the ebb and flow. The earth is a sphere. That's written in the Bible. And then the earth is flat. That's man's best ridiculous um, conclusion. And then look at science now. The earth is a circle. So if you look at Job 37 through 40, you're going to see meteorology. You're going to see uh, all types of uh, uh, all types of uh, earth and its makings and all the technical of how God numbers the stars. And, and look at this. Innumerable stars, Jeremiah 33, 22. And then uh, at one point they said, oh, there's only 1,100 stars, right? And now they're back to innumerable stars. What happened, right? Here's a mind bender. There's innumerable stars. God hung every single one of them. That's Job 38. He named every single one of them. Everyone has a song, right? And there's innumerable. Do you think God can take care of us? It's amazing. Let the scoffer scoff. Who cares? I love you. I'm praying for you, but I'm not wasting my time. Why? Because I'm doing something more important. We're glorifying God. Air has weight. Air is weightless. Air has weight. You see, you see how culture just kind of does this, uh, this thing? Each star is different. Light moves. The earth is free-floating in space. Winds blow in cyclones. The ocean floor contains deep valleys and mountains. Do you think the God who made the heavens and the earth knows what's going on with the heaven and the earth? Right? Have you ever had a conversation with somebody that's like an evolutionist? <laughs> right? You've got to have more faith in evolution than you have to have in God. Right? Let me ask you, what is the greatest flaw in evolution? What is the greatest flaw? Okay, nothing starts with something. That's, that's just the, the second law of thermodynamics. Yeah, what else? What's the greatest flaw? Correct, okay. Okay, good. What's another flaw? I didn't hear you. Life, go ahead. Life from nothing, right? 
It's impossible, right? But you got these little amoebas, and they're pretty. They're pretty, pretty amazing amoebas, <laughs> right? It's ridiculous. What else, Josh? How about like all the missing links? Okay, good. We don't see it happening now. That's right. Good. What else? I hope there's no evolutionists in here. If you are, I'm sorry. <laughs> it says that uh, the advancement, evolution, or advancement went by mutations in genetic mutations. Mm -hmm. Actually, genetic mutations still more of a problem than advancement. Good. They say that that things, uh, uh, the complex will become more. How's it go? Simple? And then actually, the, no. Is it, how's it go? I just, right? Chaos turned into order. There it is. Rather order, than order. Order out of chaos. Order out of chaos. Thank you. That's I'm trying to get it straight in my mind. It's this, they say that the simplistic will grow into the, the complex. Everything has a design, right? Everything has a designer, right? And to say that a monk, we came from monkeys, um, that's the most, that's a slap in the face to God. Yes, Brandon. Sorry, Sorry. I did, we just gave you four of them. <laughs> we just gave you four of them, yeah. The second law of thermodynamics is the big one, right? Co um, carbon dating, it's a joke, right? You put, you put a turkey bone in the ground for five minutes and you carbon date it, it's a million years old, okay? Very flawed, okay. And then, of course, Lenin, what he said there, you know, again, everything has a designer. Everything, um, you know, chaos from order. Or order from chaos, excuse me. All right, so this is a very good, this is a very good thing. You see that? How many like this? Okay. All right, let's turn back. So what is it that he wants us to remember? Okay. Uh, but, beloved, do not forget this one thing that with the Lord one day is a thousand years and a thousand years is like one day. Okay. I want you to remember this verse. So the word slack here, God is not slack. Um, he, he wants us to know that God is not forgetful. Okay. God is not forgetful. Yes, Tori. Oh, I'm sorry. Second Peter chapter three, verse eight. But beloved, by the way, when you see that word in he, the book of Hebrews, uh, and in this book, it's talking to believers. But beloved, do not forget this one thing: that with the Lord, one day is a thousand years, and a thousand years is one day. Okay. So the word slack is God is not forgetful. God's, God may delay and be slow, but he's not forgetful. God is not going to forget the promise that he made to you. God is not going to forget what, what he has promised. Somebody once said, don't doubt in the light what God has spoken to you in darkness. I love that quote. Don't doubt in the light what God has spoken to you in the darkness. That means don't look for evidences and then begin to doubt God if you really heard God. If God said something to you, he will do it. Faithful is he who called you who will also do it, right? He is a faithful God, right? 
So he's saying here that God is not going to forget you or the unbeliever. So he gives this, this, uh, this word here, a day is like a thousand years. It means God's timetable is not our timetable. So one day for us is like, we're just 24 hours and we're just like really, but for God it could be a thousand years. It could be a long time. So the big picture is the Lord, it says here, is not slack concerning his promise as some count slackness. Like just because we forget, God doesn't forget. Isn't that good? I lose my keys. I lose my, my glasses and they're on my head. You know? God is not like a man. He's not like us. So Peter is saying, don't personalize or, or uh, you know, personify God as a man. Okay? Notice this. But is long-suffering towards us, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to a place of repentance. Isn't that good? How many like that? So, is salvation for everybody? Yes. yes. Will everybody receive salvation? No. Unfortunately not, right? So God is saying, my promise is an unconditional promise for whosoever, whenever, in whatsoever condition to come. And just because you forget my truth, and this is the problem nowadays, my friends. This is a problem. This is why we have rainbow flags outside of churches. This is why we have people quoting uh, Shakespeare rather than the Bible. This is why Bibles are closed and, and people are deceived. Why? They've forgotten the truth. Right? The truth sets us free. And in all of the in all of those scenarios I just mentioned, we want to be a demonstration of the truth and not just a declarer of it. We want to be living it. We want to be ministering it. But don't forget. Don't forget the truth. If you can't find it in the Bible, chapter and verse, somebody might say, oh, there are many roads to God. What would you say to that? There are many You know, would God send a, a million Buddhists to hell? First of all, that question's wrong already. Why is that question wrong? He sends nobody to hell. Okay, he sends nobody to hell, right? Who sends people to hell? We send ourselves if we don't receive the free gift of grace. Good. Oh, there are many roads to, the, to, to heaven. Really? Where does it say that in the Bible? All right? Show me that in the Bible. Show me that in the Bible, right? Don't let the false teachers lead you away from the Bible. That's their number one thing. Oh, that was written by, by man. It has so many discrepancies. and They're going to throw these half statements out to you. And we can say, the Bible was written over 1,600 years by 40 authors by the inspiration of God. And it doesn't matter if you don't believe it. I believe it, and that's the authority we stand in. You don't leave the authority of the Bible, even if they don't believe the Bible. Well, I don't believe the Bible. That's your problem. I mean, that's your, that's, that's, I'm sad about that. But just because they're ignorant, you're going to lead them in truth and love and grace, but with uh, wisdom, 
So there are many, there are many roads to God. How, how would you answer that question? Salam, how would you answer that question? Good. You know what? That's the right answer. The problem with the world is they don't like the answer because it, it doesn't fit into their world, right? Um, yes, Josh. I like what uh, Pastor Chowder said in one of his sermons. He gave an illustration of like, uh, yeah, you have lots of mothers, right? <laughs> Good. How many mothers do you have, right? Right? Good. You got to be careful of that one. I've seen that go sideways before. Don't talk about my mother. <laughs> Sounds like you love your mother. It's good. Santa, what's another one from that sheet? Okay. How about that one? You don't have to go to church. You got your Bible. What do you say to that? That's false teaching if someone says something to you like that, which means it goes against the nature of Christ. It's anti-Christ. So how would you answer that? Nick, how would you answer that? Sorry to put you on the spot. Don't forsake the assembly. Sure. Good. Who wants to answer? Who wants to answer his question? Let's say you're bedridden, or someone might say, "How about the tribe that's never heard the gospel? You know, would they ever have an opportunity to respond to God? Like, how would you answer these questions? How would you answer that? How about let's answer the next question? Let's say they're bedridden. Marianne, how would you? They can't get to church. How would you? How would you? How would you address that? Just in, yeah, let's say it's a believer. Let's say they physically can't get to church. Um, Brandon, thank you. One thing, a lot of online from a teacher, tdco.org. Yeah, that's a good, that's a good church. Okay. Are we talking about church, the building? Are we talking about church, the building? Salam. Right. Right. Good. So yes, there's online everything. Absolutely great resource, like no other time in history. But the church is its people, right? Don't forsake the people of God. Don't forsake the teachings of God. And by the way, in Hebrews ten twenty three, that was written when there was rampant 
leprosy and rampant disease, rampant persecution. I mean, we think Paul wrote Hebrews, at least I do. He was saying, listen, still gather together. Even as one person gather together. Yeah, Randy. I, I, uh, I, I, not it's not everybody, but I meet with certain people that say, "Oh, I don't go to church, or I don't whatever it is." I believe that's what you were saying about personal. That maybe it's because they don't have a personal uh, connection with God, and so I encourage them to get into the personal, because I know that the Holy Spirit do the work that's needed to bring them into the right church, um, to give them the wisdom and discernment. That's what happened to me. The Holy Spirit, you know, when it got personal, then the Holy Spirit was enabled to lead me into all truth, which included getting to the right church. And I think that's a big factor. It's not the, it's not the only answer for people, but I think there's some that work. Good. Okay. Um, I want to say this correctly here. Um, what do you get out of church? Why do people go to church? What happens in church? Yes, Tori. Fellowship. Okay. Fellowship, talk to me. What else? Why do we go to church? What? Okay, thank you. That's the most important one right there. I can't find the right marker. Praise the Lord. Word of God. What else? What else? What else? <laughs> I'm going to start throwing these markers. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> I'm having fun up here. I'm doing okay. I'm still spirit-filled. <laughs> I need some of those pepper balls. <laughs> Word of God. Why else do we come to church? Thank you. What else? Share our gifts and receive other gifts. Okay. We're missing a big one, but that's right. Okay. Uh, we could say body life. That's a big one, right? Body life. Uh, cultivate gifts. Good. What, what, what else? Begins with a D. D for yes, discipleship. All right. We come to the church to connect with the life of Christ. That's why we come to Christ, to the church. And we fellowship around the life of Christ. We learn the scriptures and the, and the, the way of life. We edify one another, as we're going to see in 1 John chapter 1. We fellowship in the light. Body life. What's body life? That term body life, what does that even mean? Body life. Sandman, what, what do you think body life means? Good. What else? Fellowships. Vanessa, when you think of that word body life, what do you think of? Love. Excellent. Good. Share the love. Very good. Olu, body life. Making contacts. Making contacts? Okay. Certain like that, I know. Friendships, right? Right? Okay, good. Cultivate gifts, right? I'm sorry, did someone say something? My potential is realized. I lost another marker. Okay. Our potential. Oh, I found one. 
Our potential is found in a church. So, so let's say someone can't get to church. I'm not there to, to take the, uh, the baseball bat and knock them over the head, like, go to church, go to church. I'm not saying that. I'm just saying the church is a community of believers that are imperfect people gathering around a perfect Christ, right? It's a place of growth, a place of love, and a place of truth. And it's so important. There is such a devaluing of church today. And it's really sad, right? People have this idea that church... What what are some common lies about the church? And we're going to break in a minute. Church wants what? Wants my money. And what else does the church want? Power. Power over you. Power to control, right? And unfortunately, some churches are like that. But if we know the truth... Okay, here's the statement I want you to grab. If we know the truth, the lie will be exposed. If we know the truth, the lie will be exposed. So this is why he's saying here in chapter 3, verse 1, stir up your pure mind. He wants us to be clear-headed, to know the truth, and to be awake. Okay? All right, we need to break. Any questions? What was that last verse? Uh, 2 Peter 3, 1, stir up your pure minds by way of reminder. So important. And this is the effort. And the great reward, what you feed will grow. Okay, what you feed will grow. What you feed will grow. Okay, let's break. Yes, Josh. Sorry, just when we're encountering people who are objecting to the idea of going to church, are we talking about believers or are we talking about unbelievers? Can be both. Yeah. My message is not come to church. My message is come to Jesus. Come to Jesus. And then you'll learn the value of church. Then you'll learn the value of the Bible. Then you'll learn the value of forgiveness. But come to Jesus. Like religion says, you got to do all these things first, and then Jesus is going to accept you. You got to repent. You got to do X and Z and dress a certain way, talk a certain way, be a certain way. No. Come to Jesus, and Jesus does all of that. Yes. Let me ask you that question, and somebody answer this. Has there been somebody like that? Somebody like what? Has there been somebody that's died and not heard the gospel? Why? Why? You're correct. Why is that? Nupa. Correct? Okay, how does he do it? You're right. You're absolutely right. How does he do that? There's a whole chapter in the Bible that addresses this. Okay, you're in the middle of the jungle. Person's like very primitive. Are they going to have an opportunity to hear the gospel? Joe. The revelation of God is all around. Yes, it's true. Yes. So Psalms 19, the heavens and the earth declare his glory. 
So, what I have heard, Ray, and you can check me on this, many of these forgotten tribes, they have had some sort of manifestation or they pray to the God that creates the heaven and earth. They may not know the name, but they pray to the God and, and God honors that as the, the creator God. You know, maybe they don't know his name or legend. Their legend testifies of something. Yeah. Like the unknown God in Acts? Yes. Perfect example. Yep. But I don't know about you. Like, if you look up into the heavens, I mean, you, I mean, you have got to be dead to not understand there is something greater than ourselves. I mean, honestly. Honestly. So a primitive folk or someone that's very simple, I think this is the beauty of God. God is so simple and he's exceptionally complicated. Like he can reach anybody at any level, right? So Psalm 19 is great. It's a great verse. But sometimes people, when you say that, you know, like the universe basically is you know, it's speaking of God, people tend to use the reason for purpose. Why do we have consciousness? Like, if you can just give it. Because it wasn't enough, right? It wasn't enough for God to create the earth. Why? Why was it not enough? Because of what? Because of sin. And I find a lot of times when people start getting all getting all highfalutin, it's usually because they're trying to avoid themselves. Like that's one thing in the church that we find is accountability, right? Sir, I, I, I understand what you're saying, but how about you? Or you get a funny question like, who made God? And then, then it's like, okay, conversation's over. Right. <laughs> it's like, what does that even mean? So again, I like to approach it. You can approach it a couple of different ways. You can approach it morally and just address things in their personal life that maybe has led them to God or from God. You can approach it spiritually. You can present the gospel. Or you can present it um, uh Scientifically, historically, you can prove through facts. Just find out where that person is and bring them down to bring them down to their own personal life. Right. Yeah, Lennon. Oh. oh, I was. I just wanted to comment on this. Uh, Romans one also says about the creation of God. Mm-hmm. God is made. God is how about this? If God is so, like God has a big ego that he needs to be worshipped. Anybody ever heard that one? Yeah. What do you say to that one? He has a big ego. We have to worship him. Tim, what do you say to that one? He humbled himself to God. Good. But, what else can we say? Just... Vanessa, does God demand our worship? Uh, did I say Vanessa? Alyssa. Alyssa, excuse me. Does God demand our worship? Does he demand it? Okay. Sandin? Yes. Luke 14, 10. The rocks will cry out if we don't. But does he demand it? No, he wants it. We're not robots. But is it for his ego? No, it's for us. It's for us. When we praise him, 
What does it do to us? What does praise do to us? Yes. Perspective, focus, rest, relief. All right. Do you guys need to break? I'll, I'll just start going. I got a big second half here. Okay, five minutes. <laughs> That was fun. I like like going through these. This is good. All right, come on in, everybody. Come on in. All right. Hey, so I'm going to jump right into this, okay? Um, so I'm not sure if we're going to get to First John tonight. Uh, it depends on how this goes. Um, so that was a fun first half, huh? Good. So we're giving out we're giving out um, a handout about the light. So we're gonna hold that, and we may look at that tonight. We may not. But what I want to do is I want to talk to you about Second Peter three ten. Again, so we're talking about not forgetting. So do I have everybody? Okay. This is gonna require some concentration um, on all of our parts. So. Um, one of the reasons why Thessalonians was written is because people did not understand the coming of the Lord and how um, people thought that they had missed the rapture. And so when we know the truth, when we know the truth about the future, it changes the way we live today. Okay? When we know the truth about the future, it changes the way we live today. That's why our doctrine, our theology is really important, right? Somebody said it like this. My theology says build a bigger bunker or my theology says make more room at the table. Okay, think about that. Okay, make my bunker more stronger and more deeper or make another place at the table. What do I mean by that? Well... The day of the Lord here, but the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night in which the heavens will pass away with a great noise and the elements will melt with fervent heat. Both the earth and the works that are in it will be burned up. Therefore, since all these things will be dissolved, what manner of person ought you be in holy conduct and godliness? So he introduces, as he started the chapter, purity, and now he's talking about Holy conduct, okay? So purity is cleanliness. It is a wholeness. It is a sanctity, right? And he is bringing this up because the world will be judged by fire, Romans chapter 8. So the day of the Lord is not a day. It is a season of judgment. And this judgment was designated for Israel. And this is why it's called Jacob's Trouble, because it is addressing Israel and their disobedience and their, and their rejection of Christ. Okay, so let's go through it. There's a lot of scripture on this, and I can walk you through it, but I want to just walk you through it um, very simply. So 1 Thessalonians 4, 16 through 18, this, these are good verses to understand 
that we will one day, let's read it. Or actually, let's have you read it, 1 Thessalonians 4.16. Um, actually, let me read it because time is going to run away from us again. Uh, Thessalonians. Okay. So, uh, for the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, and with the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we also who are alive and remain shall be caught up to the earth together in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And thus we shall always be with the Lord. Therefore, comfort one another with these words. So, 416, 1 Thessalonians 5, 9, 2 Thessalonians 1, 10. They are addressing the wrath of God. So who took the wrath of God? Who? Christ. Okay. Very important point in eschatology, the study of the end times. Because there's these ideas, and it's very popular, that the church must go through the wrath of God. And that does not match up with the pattern of Scripture from Genesis to Revelation. Because the wrath of God was satisfied in Psalm 22. Jesus was beaten, destroyed. He took on all of our sin so that you and I would not uh, be the recipients of wrath. So this is why the cross, Jesus did that. And this age that we live in, the 69th week of Daniel, right? It is the church age, the age of grace. The one thing that uh, moves into the 70th week, as we know from Daniel 9.27, and that's worth a, a great conversation. We'll have another time. But the rapture, which a lot of people don't talk about, but the rapture is the next thing to happen at any point because everything has been fulfilled. Everything. So what that, the day of the Lord is this. When the rapture happens, that's the day of the Lord. From the rapture all the way to the new heaven and the new earth. And we can see this. A lot of people have trouble in Matthew 24 uh, as you read through this. And that chapter is not in chronological order. It bounces around. And that's, that's another conversation. But we have the rapture where the dead in Christ will rise. We'll meet him in the air. That's the key. Because the second advent is when we... Christ stands on the Mount of Olives. So that's the difference. And then we'll be at the Bema Seat, where we'll be there in 1 Corinthians 3.11, and there will be a burning up of those things that were not of gold, silver, and precious stones, and there will be a reward for you and I for our obedience to Christ. And there will be no mention of sin. Why? Because sin was paid for. Okay? So the judgment for the believer, the believer is not a judgment of sin, it's a judgment of obedience. We will then have marriage supper of the Lamb, and actually Romans 14, 10 through 15 is a good, a good verse on the Bema seat, that place of judgment. We'll have the marriage supper of the Lamb where we will uh, rejoice in the Lord, and that's Revelations chapter 4, uh, 10 through 15. Okay? So while we're up there rejoicing, the tribulation, or Jacob's trouble, 
is happening. It's seven years of excruciating discipline on the earth. The first three and a half years, and I'm sorry for this brevity, but I'm just making an overview here. The first three and a half years, there'll be a, what's called a false peace. And we're seeing, we're not in the tribulation, by the way, we're not there, but we're seeing a lot of foreshadowing in it. I believe right now we are in what's called the time of sorrows, and you can read about that in your scriptures, where we are starting to see events and cataclysm event, cataclysmic events, and we'll continue to see a progression because the earth is groaning and uh, it wants to be redeemed just like man wants to be redeemed. Okay, I want to just spend the time talking about this. The first three and a half years, okay, we have the Antichrist being set up. And the next three and a half years, which is Revelations 8, 1, there'll be what's called the Great Tribulation, where the Antichrist will be demanding worship, and there'll be the outpouring of the bowls, trumpets, and the seals, okay? So while that's all going on, sorry, this is already a mess. The second coming, Jesus comes back with his saints. Beautiful verse, Revelations 19, reading through that. I believe it's in the second half. We come back, we come back on white horses with Christ, and he sets up what's called the millennium, the thousand-year reign of Christ. Okay, why is the millennium necessary? It's for disciples to reign. Okay? It's all the promises in the gospels will be fulfilled at, in the millennium, and we will reign with him. Okay? I mean, there'll be a great war, and then there'll be uh, Isaiah 6.2, we'll see a great peace will cover the earth. Satan will be bound. Imagine that for a thousand years. Satan will be bound. Thousand years of unprecedented peace. The lion will lay down with a lamb. I believe that's Isaiah chapter 12. Uh, it is incredible uh, what will be going on in this thousand year reign of Christ. Satan will be released. He'll cause one last um, conspiracy. And this is what's called Gog and Magog. The Lord, uh, we should say Jesus, will be, and that's John 5.22, by the way, Jesus, who is, the, who is the caretaker of all judgment, he will burn the earth with fire. Okay? Now, all us tree huggers and lovers of the earth, I'm sorry to say, it'll all burn. So I'm not saying we shouldn't take care of the earth, but it will all burn. And what will happen is a new heaven and a new earth will be presented in Revelations 21 and 22. Now, just before that happen, happens, there is the judgment of the unbeliever. Now, what happens to the unbeliever? How are they judged? Christ. Yes, but they're judged based on their... Yes. Okay, and that's the scary part, right? That's Revelations 20:15. They will be judged based on their sin, and it says there'll be no place found for them. Revelations 20 is an exceptionally sobering chapter. They will be uh, sent to hell, and they're, they're over. It's over for them. There'll be an everlasting hell, and that is a, a very tragic thought. But the believer have a new heaven and a new earth and in the new Jerusalem. Okay, so this is a, a very quick and um, 
But the day of the Lord, this is the day. Okay, this is the day. So when he says one day is a thousand years, this day of the Lord is not 24 hours. It's a season. It's a judgment from the rapture all the way through to the new heaven and new earth, okay? All right, does that make sense? Okay, I know that's a lot to package here, and we can talk about it more if we need to. All right, so why does he bring that up? Because he's bringing this up. Just like the earth is being purified, you and I are being purified, right? You and I are being purified, okay? So let's look at this again. So pre-trib, we are pre-trib. If you're not pre-trib, it's it's like I'm not going to be upset at you. <laughs> Some people believe that the church has to go through partial of the of the of the tribulation, or some people believe they have to go through the whole tribulation. And my question is, if the work of the cross was perfect, then we understand that in Revelation. This is very clear through Revelation six through nineteen, the church is not mentioned at all. Okay. Brandon, quick question, because I want to—I don't want to stay here too long. Go ahead. Uh, also, is it true that people will be able to be saved? Oh, okay. So that's a—that's absolutely correct. You're going to have so through the through the seven years, you're going to have angels preaching. You're going to have the two witnesses. You're going to have massive, massive salvations. Uh, there will also be great cataclysm events like nuclear war, stars falling. Uh, the moon comes apart. Lots of things that we see in these horror shows, they're actually going to be in the tribulation. Okay. I don't want to spend a whole lot of time here because we can, we can exhaust this. Go ahead, Ray. I mean, uh, my question was, like, why do we have some sort of discrepancy? Like, we have two Yes. My question is basically like, how come that we cannot come to a, you know, solid uh, yeah. agreement? Yeah. Yeah. There we go. So, again, it's all in how people interpret things. Um, a lot of people misinterpret Matthew 24. They, they really have, they struggle through that. I think that's one of the most, uh, if you don't go in it with a presupposition of Christ paid for the sins of man, Therefore, man will not suffer wrath. So it's it's the same principle of Hebrews chapter 6. Some people read Hebrews chapter 6 and struggle, and they don't understand that the context of Hebrews chapter 6, the first seven verses are to unbelievers, and then the last eight verses to the end of the chapters are to believers. So why do people believe these things? It's because they don't have the same context like that we believe in. I believe, and if you differ, it's okay. I'm not going to attack you in any way. But I'm just saying that a biblically sound, uh, unified uh, way is to see that Christ takes the church out because Christ uh, bore the wrath for the church. Yes, last question because I want to finish this. Yep, that's fine. Oh, yes, I'm sorry. Hebrews chapter 6, 1 through 7. Uh, talk the wording, and if we were to go through it. Um, by the way, I have a document on that. I sent that to Errold. I don't think he's here tonight. Um, that it addresses the unbeliever, the, the, the religious person that's unbelieving. 
okay? Once they've tasted, once they've been enlightened, all that, that's not even talking about salvation, that verse, okay? So one through seven. Yeah, one through seven is to the unbeliever, and then eight through the rest of the chapter is talking about the believer. And the key word there is the word beloved. That's, that's, the, that's the key word there. We can talk about that, but uh, that's also another huge discussion. But I bring this up just so you know what the day of the Lord is, okay? The day of Christ can sometimes be looked at as the rapture, okay? But uh, the idea is he's saying is just like the earth will be purified, you and I are being purified every day. And look what he says here. Uh, It says, uh, both the earth and the works that are in it will be burned up. Verse 11, therefore, since all these things will be dissolved, what manner of person ought you to be in holy conduct and godliness, right? 1 Timothy 6, 6 is a good verse. Godliness with contentment, right? God-likeness. That means that trials and tribulation, God is burning away the things that don't look like him. God is chipping away the things that don't represent him, okay? So he's saying this, looking for and hastening the coming of the day of God because of which the heavens will be dissolved, being on fire, and the elements will melt with fervent heat. Nevertheless, we, according to his promise, look for the new heaven and the new earth in which righteousness dwells. Okay, So he's, he's referring to this eschatology. He's saying there will be a day in the millennium where it'll, the, uh, the knowledge of God will be like the waters of the earth. And that's an awesome study. And, and it's a, it's, you can spend years in it. All right, let's, let's finish. At least we'll finish Second Peter tonight. <laughs> Therefore, beloved, looking forward. Okay, that's a beautiful word, right? Looking forward. Okay, looking forward. What's, what are we looking forward? We are looking forward to the rapture. Right? Somebody says, prove to me in the Bible what the rapture is. Right? Can you do it? Can you do it? If you can, awesome. If you can't, study it out. First Thessalonians 4.16 is very clear. Um, I always love speaking at funerals. It's like, hey, you know what? This person is not here. Absent from the body is present with the... Right? Why? Why is that true? Why is that true? Why is that person's spirit not there? Why? Okay, yes. And what work was that? What did he do? What did he do? Yes, he paid for sin, death, burial, and resurrection. Yes, but how would you answer that? I'm looking for something specific. When Jesus died, where did he go? Went to the grave. But he also did one other thing. Yeah, he released the, he released the prisoners that was he broke apart what was Sheol and the grave. Now in paradise, now it's all one place, right? But the he conquered death. Conquered death. That's why we are no longer uh a prisoner to death, right? So looking forward to these things, being diligent to be found in him, peace without spot and blemish. Again, 
He, he says this in Hebrews, um, excuse me, Ephesians chapter 5. Let's look at Ephesians real quick here. Ephesians chapter 5. God looks at you this way. God looks at you without spot and without blemish. You say, wait a minute, I've got lots of spots and I've got lots of blemishes, you know. But Jesus see, uh, God sees us in, in whom? He says he sees them in his son, right? So Ephesians chapter 5, we, say this, we see that a godly relationship is verse uh, 26. That he may sanctify and cleanse her with the washing of the word by, by the word that he might present her to himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she should be holy and without blemish. So what I believe is really important. It's really important. If I believe I'm going to go through the tribulation, it's going to change my message. It's going to change the way I relate to God. It's going to change what I think about the cross. That's why when someone says some are predestined to heaven and predestined to hell, that is an absolute disaster when you compare that to the, the redemption and cross of Christ. And I'm very vocal about it because it is such a damaging thought. It's almost like saying someone saying, you're not healed because you don't have enough faith. It's like, show me that in the Bible. And if they show it to you in the Bible, it's twisted. This is why Peter is saying, know the God of the Bible. <laughs> know the truth. The truth sets you free. If I'm in bondage, often it's not the truth. Okay, I have to keep going here. So, so much to say. All right. Consider that the long-suffering, verse 15, of our Lord is, is salvation or produces salvation. Okay? That means that Christ endured everything so that he would not get off that cross. As also our beloved brother Paul, according to the wisdom given to you, has written to you. Okay, so he gives three credible witnesses. You ready? I'm sorry. Uh, we're in Second Peter chapter 3. Yep, and we're looking at 14 through 16. No problem. So he gives three credible witnesses to the word and the long sufferings of Christ. What are the three credible witnesses? Look, look, look quickly here. Number one, it is the 15. The witness of the word is because of the long suffering of the Lord. That's one. Number two, who's the other credible, credible witness? Paul, thank you, Paul. And what's the third credible witness? 16. Second uh, Peter chapter 3, verse 16. Second Peter, sorry guys. Second Peter chapter 3, verse six, 14 through 16. Three witnesses of truth. It's the long-suffering of Christ. It's Paul. And what's the third one? Yes, epistles, the scriptures. Good. That's important to know. Okay? Number one was the Lord. See how it says, and consider the long suffering of our Lord is salvation. As our beloved brother Paul, according to the wisdom given to him, has written to you, 
as also in all of his epistles, speaking them these things in which are some things hard to understand, which untaught and unstable people twist to their own destruction, as they do also the rest of the scriptures. Uh, yeah, he wrote over half of the New Testament, so he could. Yeah, I, I take it that way. Yeah. Um. All right. You therefore. So what does he say? He's saying the credibility and validity of the scriptures. It's bigger than us. It's greater than us. And by the way, that's our only authority, right? All right. Just like when he comes back. On the white horses, he speaks the word, right? That's amazing. He speaks the word. The word is on his vesture. He will speak the word, and Satan will be cast into the lake of fire. He'll speak the word, and there will be a new heaven, a new earth. All right. I want to end on a, on a great uh, note here. 17, therefore, beloved, since you know this beforehand, beware, lest you also fall from your own steadfastness, being led away with the error of the wicked. Okay, so he spent two epistles, and what's he telling them? Be careful, right? Be careful. We can be led astray. Any of us can. We cannot trust ourselves. Okay? So it's not, the question is, Lord, is it I? No, we don't, we don't say that. We say, Lord, we say, Lord, it is not I, or it won't be me. It won't be me, right? We say, by the grace of God, it won't be me. And this is when he brings this beautiful verse, but grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. So the context of this is, this is the one thing that's going to safeguard you from error and deception. It is grace. It is grace. Like, why does your church preach about grace all the time? Well, because growing here, and it's not a suggestion, it's a dogmatic condition where you must grow, and you must grow in this way. So he is saying here, do not grow in anything else but grace. Otherwise, what will happen? We will fall away. We will fall away. So we've spoken a lot about grace. I think grace has been in every one of our class, but it's really grace. We've we've defined it as the person of Christ. Amen. It's who God is, right? So to grow in that. How do we grow in grace? Talk to me for a minute. How do we grow in grace? I mean, you're doing it tonight, right? You're doing it tonight. Fellowship. Good. Grow in grace. Discipleship. Good. Josh. Failure and reason. Okay, very good. Implementing grace. Yes. Good. Alyssa. Chelsea. How do you grow in grace, Jehu? I'll speak at once. Huh? It's a ministry. Yes. From God to us. Yes. This is a very interesting place to put this verse. Like he goes through a tremendous amount of bad things and judgment and fire and doom. And he says the only way to 
thank you, Sandin. The only way, <laughs> the only way to do this is to grow in grace. Grow in grace. Personal meditation. Mm. It's so important, isn't it? Just to think about what Christ has done for us. It's so important to thank him for that. It's so important to understand the work of the cross. This is the most, un, uh, the most misunderstood thing right here, the cross. Right? Grace is God's riches at Christ's expense. God's riches at Christ's expense. I like how Pastor Brian recently said, he said, at salvation, it's like Christmas. We get all these gifts, and then we spend our whole life opening them. Isn't that good? We get all these gifts, and we spend our whole life opening them. At salvation, we have 96 things that happen to us, right? 27 and is it 66? There's experiential and foundational. I might have those numbers off, but 96 things that happen to you at salvation. It's incredible. All right, let's take a few minutes. Any questions? I know that was a loaded second half. Yes, George. Uh, Greg, yes, Greg. Um, time of sorrow. Okay, I believe we're in it now. Times of sorrow. I don't have a scripture on it, but it is it is there. I can find it for you. Times of sorrow. I might even be in Matthew 24. Yeah. So we are right at the edge of the time before the rapture. There's that time of sorrows where we're going to see um, wars and rumors of wars, famines, um, and great cataclysmic problems. Yep. How you doing? Did you catch this class? Yes, Tori. Okay, sure. Okay. Josh, did you have something you want to say? Brandon, excuse me. Just thought, when Jeremiah said, man trusts in human strength, in the flesh, they, they're cursed that they won't see the good when they come. And I, and I really think that one of the reasons why people can benefit, both benefit, and I say that, they will benefit from fellowship. Maybe they feel disconnected from fellowship, uh, scripture reading, whatever it is, because reliance on reliance is not on God, on Christ. Very good. Very good. Yep. Wow, it's after 10. Um, so you have a take-home quiz or essay, excuse me. And what I'd like you to do, since we didn't get the first John, we're going to tackle that next class. we got a lot to do next class. Um, could you please look at this, uh, this other handout? Do you have that? 
It's called the premise, 1 John 1, 6, the light test, 1 John 1, 8, the fight faith test. Do you have that? Can you just review that, and we'll look at that next week? Yes, Greg. Yes, we'll get you one. Awesome. Lord, thank you. We just give you the praise. Thank you that we look forward with hope. We have great expectation knowing that you that created the heavens and the earth, uh, created them with purpose, and that we are your greatest creation because of your grace. And may we be encouraged with these thoughts tonight and, and share the hope that lies within us in Christ's name. Amen. All right. God bless you.